Okay, so we're doing the Parsha Shlach. So, there was a whole bunch of incidents that took place in a very short period of time. A whole bunch of different happenings. Uh, it was sort of, yeah, it was sort of quiet for a while or not really, but I'm talking about a lot of incidents of the Jews complaining and arguments and fighting and, you know, uh, this week we're start, starting about a a problem, you know, rebelling against Moshe Rabbeinu. And next week we're going to talk about a fighting against Moshe Rabbeinu. And then last week we had two incidents in which they were, uh, you know, not unhappy. The Jewish people were unhappy. And, um, and this all happened in a very short period of time. Uh, um, the Jewish people were uh, camping in their place. They were stationed um, in front of the Mount Sinai where they received the Torah. So the Jewish people were stationary in one place and they actually stayed there for just about a year. <laughs> Ten days less than a year. So they stayed in one place. At the end we know the Jewish people they spent 40 years in the desert as we're going to be learning. They spent 40 years in the desert. You know, they make a joke. He says, it was led by Moshe Rabbeinu. Men hate, hate to ask directions. So <laughs> it took him 40 years. So they were 40 years in the desert. But and we're going to see in, in this week's portion later on that they were punished. And that was a punishment that they, uh, that they spent 40 years in the desert. Um, and... You know, there's various different interpretations because on the one hand, uh, the people of the that generation who came out with Moshe Rabbeinu from Egypt, on one hand, they seem to be always complaining and always unhappy and want, and, 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 and making fights with Moshe Rabbeinu and uh, being uh, challenging Hashem, God, all the time. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, there was a whole nation that followed Moshe Rabbeinu into the desert and you know in the no man's land and they followed him and they went with him and in the prophet we find that they're praised because of their uh, because of their uh, devotion uh, of, of following and, and, and just going in and, 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 and doing all this so it has both elements matter of fact in the Talmud in the end of the Sanhedrin there is a difference of opinions, but there's one opinion that says, deals very, very harshly with the people of the generation. They say that the Dor Hamabu, the Dor Hamidbar, does not have a portion in the world to come. That's one of the opinions. Thank you. That's the opinion of, of Rabbi Akiva, uh, that they don't have a portion in the world to come, because that means that they were bad. But there's another opinion that disagrees and says that the, the people of the desert uh, they were people that made a covenant with a carbon. This is a verse in the Tehillim that that refers to that special generation. And even though there was challenges, but still they were isfuli chasidoi. They are considered to be gathered in eventually, and they're called the chasidoi. So there are various views to look at them. 
But nevertheless, during their tw- tw- 12 months minus 10 days during the Moser period, things were pretty uh, quiet. What do I mean quiet? Well, they did the golden calf, but after they did the golden calf, that was on Shavuos, right? I mean Shavuos, uh, 40 days after Shavuos, you know. Uh, uh, so at that point, that's a Shavuos or Tammuz, okay, on the 70th day of Tammuz. So when they made the golden calf, so then they went a little bit, you know, off the off the path. But then, from that point on, Moshe Rabbeinu went to pray for them. He came down. They built the Mishkan. They they contributed. They erected it. They Kohanim. They Levim. They were counted. A lot of good stuff happening. Finally, they moved from the Mount Sinai, and they started a journey. And then all of a sudden, we're met constantly with different challenges going on. So let's talk about, we'll start with this week. This week we talk about the spies. So we'll start, let's start learning in the first uh, sentence. We'll have uh, our guest over here today, Zachosn. So he's getting married, so we're going to have him start. So let's do the first, uh, by the way, I want to introduce, I before, no, this is Moshe, and this is his friend, Oral. Oral. Uh, they know each other from Eshishrol, they learned in Yeshiva there. And um, we're going to learn today. And I told him I had a class, so he said to come and join us for the Chumash class. So that's great. Shulam. So why don't Moshe? Why don't you start us off with the first? Uh, he he would do the English also, so for the benefit of all those uh, here that can understand. Go ahead. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, do the English, please. Send out for yourself men who will scout the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. You shall send one man each for his father's tribe. Each one shall be a chieftain in their midst. Okay, I want to stop for one second over here. So what is the unusual, what is the first sentence? Moshe, reads for me the first sentence again, the English sentence. What is the first sentence? The Lord spoke to Moses saying... No, that's the first verse. What's the first second in the second one? What's the first sentence in the second verse? First sentence in... Uh, send out but, for yourself men who will scout oh, land. Oh, send out for yourself. Send out for yourself. In the Hebrew it's shlach lecha. What does it mean send out for yourself? What does it mean send... How do you send out... What is the meaning of the words "send out for yourself"? So they will be his eyes and ears. So instead of him, Spy. so they should be like he would go, but he shouldn't go, and other people should go instead of him. And okay, so now, now, so who is saying this? This is God saying to Moshe, yes. right? God is saying to Moshe, "Shlach l'cha, send for you." Let me let me tell you something um, before that's a. A, a nice interpretation, but let me just say this. As I mentioned several times, the book of Deuteronomy, that's the book of Devarim, that's the last one of the five books, is Moshe reviewing what took place during the time that he spent with the Jewish people. Before Moshe Rabbeinu, before he dies, he sort of recounts and goes through many and most of the incidents that took place during his lifetime. This is before Moshe Rabbeinu, before he passes on, before he dies. So he goes back and reviews. Now, from the reviews that Moshe Rabbeinu reviewed what took place, many times we learn, and it fills in the blanks, and it gives us more information 
than what we know just from learning over here. So if it's stated in one way over here, and then we read in Moshe Rabbeinu's review what happened, some other facts which are unbeknown to us, that gives us a fuller picture. We get a better picture of what really took place. In Moshe Rabbeinu's review in, in Deuteronomy, when he talks, when he recounts the incident that took place with the spies, he has a little bit different beginning. He says that the Jewish people came forward to Moshe to say, we want you to go ahead and check out the land that we were promised to go into. If you read our text over here, it seems like God is saying to Moses, you go. It was an order, it was a command, it was an instruction that God gave to Moses. He's by Dabra Hashem and Moshe, you go and send, like we find all the rest of the Torah, which is God instructing Moshe Rabbeinu what to do. But when we read in, the, in Deuteronomy over there, it says that Moshe actually was approached by the Jewish people. And they said to him, well, we're supposed to be going in the land. We want to first send spies, scouts, to go ahead and look it up and see what it's like. Now, they had just finished Matan Torah. They just, uh, I mean, they just finished moving from Mount Sinai. They just have built the Mishkan, the sanctuary. And by the way, it seems like that sanctuary was going to be used for a very short period of time because they were about to go into Israel. So they're building it just for a couple of days. Matter of fact, Rashi says three, four, five days they were supposed to go right away to Israel. Had they not sinned, had they not gotten into trouble, they were going to go right away into Israel. So this whole sanctuary, the whole building, maybe until they're going to build another one inside Israel also, but they, were, they built it, they built the sanctuary. But what happens here is, they come to Moshe and say to Moshe, after they started to move towards Israel, they said, we want to send spy. So therefore Rashi over here explains, what happened was, it was actually the idea of the Jewish people. And Moshe Rabbeinu came to God to check with God and saying, are you in agreement uh, with the request of the Jewish people? So when we read over here by David Hashem and Moshe Lamer, that is sort of a response. God speaks to Moshe saying, in response to his request. So therefore God begins and he says, Shlach l'cho anoshim. Send for yourself. What does it mean for yourself? God is basically saying to Moses, I told you that that land is a good land. I told you it's a land that flows milk and honey. I told you it's a beautiful, wide, good land. But, you say that you want to check it out, that you want to send scouts, you want to check it out, I'm not going to stop you. Basically, it's shlach lecha, for yourself, if you want to send these people, go ahead, you go and send them. Now, this is usually an approach which we have in our service of God. God tells us many times, all the times, what is the right path. He's given us through the Torah, through the mitzvahs. He told us what we need to do. Sometimes we question. And we say, well, we're not sure. Is this, is this so? Is not so? And God always allows for people, if you want to question, fine. But He allows you room to make a mistake. 
In this case, he said, okay, you want to send, I'll let you send, but be careful. If you send, something might come up. Something did come up, and something terrible came up. That because of that, they were punished, and they had to spend so many years there. So, it's better off for us to trust God, and not to question, and to follow, and to accept it, rather than starting to figure it out. However, why did God allow for Moses to go ahead and, you know, God told him it was a good land. Why did he need to, why did he allow to them? Because the argument of the Jewish people, and Moses accepted it, apparently, was because the Jews wanted to understand it logically. So they didn't want to just accept it. Well, it's a good land, take it. They wanted to be able to really be excited about the land, not just because somebody has told me, but because they actually scouted it out and they have first-hand information what it is, that it's okay. So, it's not like they wanted to send, they doubted God, or they didn't want to go there, or they questioned, they're looking for trouble, they're looking to send away. They just wanted to uh, go ahead and do it in a reasonable, and a rational, in an accepting way, so something that they can logically appreciate what Hashem is giving to them. But still, we see that there was an error made, because Hashem says send, they should have gone. Without questioning. But anyways, so that's what but I just want to ask Moshe to read me what is the next sentence after the first sentence it says Shlach Lecha, send for yourself. What are the next two words there? The next two words after Shlach Lecha. Yeah. Men who will scout the land of Canaan. Okay. Right. Now it says it says men who will send the to who will send men who will um uh, was sent to scout the land of Canaan. Okay. Now, and then he says, how are they going to scout the land? How are they going to have a representation? There's going to be one person per tribe. Koil Nosibahem. What is the meaning of Koil Nosibahem? They were all leaders, all distinguished people. So he didn't take just ordinary people. He took people of stature, people who are, who were uh, leaders. He took them all and they were the ones that were going to scout the land. How, how many spies? Oh, so we're going to learn. There were 12. Well, that's the story. The story is going to be 12. There were 12 of them. Okay, Warren, do verse 2. 3. 3, sorry. So Moses sent them from the desert of Paran by the word of the Lord. All of them were men of distinction. They were the heads of of the children of Israel. Again, it says by the word. What did you say? Did you say that he sent them from the desert of Paran, Pi Hashem? Mm. What does that mean? By the word of the Lord, it says, right? Right. But didn't we just say that it was Moses or the Jewish people that requested it? Mm. But so Rashi explains what it really means is that Hashem agreed. It doesn't mean by the word of the Lord, doesn't mean here by the instruction of the Lord, by His initiation, that God initiated it, but Hashem agreed. God agreed to their, up to their plan. They wanted to go and inspect, and God said, okay, yeah? Didn't we already say that? The where? Oh, in the beginning? Yeah, that God agreed. Okay. The... Um, the first one is in a hint in the words, Shlach Lecha. 
Shlach Lecha means for yourself, meaning I didn't tell you. But in the end, in here, it's more clear that still it was sanctioned, it was uh, okayed, and it still had a mission of God in it. Uh, presumably, again, it's a good question, but presumably that if it wasn't the mission of God, it was it didn't have the pi Hashem, it didn't have a, a, the instruction of the Lord, even the agreement of the Lord, even the agreement of Hashem to consent, maybe the violation and the uh, sin wouldn't be so grave if it was just something that Moshe and they did for themselves. But because at the end, it took on a acceptance, God accepted it, so it was a pi Hashem, because after all, by Dabr Hashem and Moshe Lamer, Shlach Hashem said, go send. Okay, you know, according to you, but it took on the pi Hashem, it took on the God's word there. So now they had a holy mission over here that they had to do. Now, but we've got to look at the Mepharshim further. But let me just say over here, uh, Warren, you said, they, the, you said the words over there, they were all men, what, what did you say there? Say it again, they were all men. They were all distinction? distinction. What does it mean they were men of distinction? They were important people. Why do you think that they sent important people over there? Because the people would more, more believe them. It's an important mission. Right. It's an important mission. It's to find out. People will believe them. They'll probably give over a good report. They would. Why would you think that Moshe Rabbeinu would choose, uh, or in this case, um, God tells him how to send, even though, um, even though it was Moshe's idea to, to begin with, but Hashem tells him how he should take. He should take each one from one tribe. That already, once, once they're going, God says how to send them, it seems like. That, that was God's saying what kind of way to send them. Uh, that it should be one tribe per one, one, one spy, one scout per tribe. That is God's saying. Uh, but who chose them, it would seem, uh, they were chosen by Moses. Uh, the way he chose them is they were people of distinction. It says, uh, uh, but it says people of distinction. Now, one wonders if these were people of distinction, and we know already the story that what happens is they came back and they slandered Israel, and they said bad, bad, bad stuff. They said we can't go into Israel. They got the Jews to. Uh, Re- resent going into Israel, yeah? Didn't they say that uh, that Israel was just a scary, like, fearful place? Not that Israel was bad, but... Well, we uh, they, they slandered Israel. Uh, it all, from the whole story, as we'll see, you know, people can cover up what they're saying with different ways of saying it. You know, sometimes, you know, you say, you can say the same thing, but sometimes you say it in a way that you persuade others uh, and you uh, get them to uh, not to want to go and want to do as what they did over here. But they uh, they did slander. It's called slander. They spoke bad. The Pasuk says bad. They did speak bad, even by saying that it's different, that the fruits are big, you know, in the very... And by saying that we see they're bearing all the people, we'll see soon in the verse what they came back with. But what I wanted to discuss here now, for a minute, is if these were people of such distinction, if they were so righteous people, 
So, and it's understood why he chose people of distinction. He chose leaders because it was an important mission. How did they make such a big mistake? You know, how did they come back with such a big mistake if they were such leaders and they were great people? And that's why they were chosen. But furthermore, the first question we have is how could we call them people of distinction when they failed so miserable? Why would we call them all people of distinction? Rashi says, at that time, they were people of distinction. So when they left, they were still okay. They hadn't done anything. They weren't bad people. They didn't take people. They were people. At the time they took them, they were good. Maybe the standards weren't so high. <laughs> <laughs> However, yeah, go ahead. But the, it says in, in the next part of the sentence, of, of the right? paragraph, that they were heads of, of the children of Israel. So, right. I mean, I mean, that kind of like goes hand in hand. That someone who with distinction, all right, goes in hand with the, the heads of whoever, you know, the head of the tribe or, or whatever. Um, it seems like they kind of like go in hand in hand, as they're saying... Well, I will tell you something. Actually, this points to me, it tells me something something a little different. To me, it says this verse, I'm glad you pointed it out, because I thought, I thought about this point, but I thought a little bit differently. To me, it seems that just the fact that they were the heads of the tribes of Israel, they were leaders, still doesn't mean that these people are really righteous or anything. You know, people buy their way in, people fake their way in, people, you know, get to place of authority, maybe not by, you know, not by right. Sometimes, you know, we know plenty of people who climb up the ladder and they don't belong over there and just, you know, they lose somebody or they were connected. I mean, I'm not saying this didn't work over there, but just saying that they were leaders, I wouldn't say it. The Torah is actually testifying and saying that they were men of distinction. So it's sort of saying, it's not, not enough to say that they were leaders, but the Torah is sort of saying they were actually men of distinction. They were men of importance. They were important people. by Not just because they were the leaders, because that's what, that what their function was, but they were actually, the Torah is saying they were, they were uh, the people of distinction. And Rashi says, but he wants to say what Rashi said. Rashi says, at the time, they were actually distinguished people. Mm-hmm. At the time. But unfortunately, later on, they, they changed. But still, we have the question how come? Yeah, I'm sorry. So, what's shown by the fact that uh, in Hashem's commandment, it says, kol nasi vahem, that they should all be leaders using the word nasi. And then when it's, when Am Yisrael, or when Moshe actually sends the leaders from Am Yisrael, the word, Roshe bin Israel is used. Maybe maybe Nasi means like a true leader, whereas Rosh is more like the political head. Maybe rather than sending true like Torah leaders, they were sending political leaders. Okay, yeah, you know that's a good point, and I'm sure we can expound on every word and why the changes. So yeah, it's a little bit beyond, you know, in the Torah, the Torah changes, you know, different ways of referring to him and what Hashem says and 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 uh, uh, and the way the pasuk says. But let's also remember that the there were there were nisim, which we learned in the previous portion in the parshas uh, nasi, the ones that each tribe had a leader, the quote unquote the nasi. We had the nasim; they were the ones that headed those uh, flags, the dugolim in the desert when they camped. We have those nisim. We had the nasi in the beginning of parshas by midbar when they were counting the people. Hashem tells them that each tribe should have one Nasi, one leader who was going to 
be the one that's going to help with the counting and basically equal representation. So we have the leaders and we have their names. These people that were sent over here were not those leaders. Those are different leaders, these are different names, those are not those leaders. It is not the leaders that are mentioned in the previous, in Bamidbar, in the beginning of Bamidbar, or in the portion of Baaloischa and Nosei, in which they brought the Nosei, where they brought the Karbonas, those are not those leaders. So, over here, Nosei uh, would mean a leadership quality, right? But in the word Nosei can also mean just a one, like a Nosei can only be like one. But Nosei in the general uh, term can also mean Leadership, you know, I mean, so the Rashi Bnei Yisrael, heads of the Bnei Yisrael, is almost an interpretation for the meaning of the word Nasi, uh, uh, for the meaning of Nasi. So, in Hashem's word, it's Nasi. But whatever, okay, that's a separate uh, issue to figure out exactly the change of the languages over here. But what we want to discuss just for a minute here, and we're going to move on, is what was the purpose, I mean, how come they made such a big mistake, you know, we send out spies, you send out distinguished people Rashi says they were righteous, they were fit people, they were good people how did they make such a mistake? so again, based on what we said before uh, the purpose of their mission was what? the way they understood it they understood that the purpose of their mission is to intellectually comprehend the beauty of Israel they were supposed to come approach it from a purely logical, sensible, rational approach. Look at it, see it, make sure does it make sense or doesn't it make sense. From that perspective, that's where they can make a terrible error, because if a person just follows intellectually and he's not grounded with amuna, with strong belief, with strong uh, conviction, that if God sends us for a mission, we can do it. Even if we want to understand it intellectually, but it doesn't mean that we drop our conviction, that we drop our amuna, that we say, okay, this is just yes and no are equal. It's 50-50. Let's go and check it out. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't send them just to check it out and just logically, yes or no. Okay, maybe no. You know, maybe it doesn't make sense if you just your logic. But if you base your logic, you know we're going to go. You know we're going to do it. But we've still got to figure out, and the Jewish people wanted to understand logically, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't send them to come back with decisions, to come back and tell us what we could do, what we can do. He didn't want them to just base it. Uh, we're asking you, is it the right thing to go up or not? That wasn't the question. Of course we're going out. They went out from Egypt. The purpose of going out of Egypt was to go to Israel. That wasn't the question. The spies were just there not to uh, decide or question whether yes or no, but they were to find out how and in what way and what's the best way to approach it. And that's why they made a mistake, because they took it in a way totally logical. If you talk today, the same thing is today, you know, I mean, if you look at it, you know, some people will give uh, advice, you know, to Israel, uh, you know, how to conduct ourselves or how the Jewish people can survive. You know, if you use just logic, then you say, hey, you know what, uh, logical, we don't have uh, a right to exist based upon our numbers, based upon our 
our uh, uh, you know history, how everybody wanted to annihilate us. You know, it doesn't make logical sense for us to be around. However, because we, our existence is not logical, doesn't mean that we should behave illogical and trying to defend ourselves. We have an army. We fight back. We are strong. We we do things in a logical way, but. It doesn't mean what it means is we are no we know for sure that we are here we are we have the conviction we believe in God we believe in the Torah we believe in Eretz Yisrael we believe in the Jewish people that's not a question but once we have that grounded and we know that's for sure of course we have to go ahead and do things in a sechelik way in a play in a way that makes sense in other words we do the best we can but it's not a question whether we should or we could. Of course, when you talk to people, some Americans or to other people, you know, Americans is very understanding, but they, to them, they just, you know, to them it's logical. You know, a peace given away a part of the land, you know, so they'll stop fighting so you can be successful. You know, they don't live there. It's not their homeland. It's not their promised land. It's not their connection. It's not their heritage. It's not their religion. So from an outside perspective, like from, if a Miraglim, approaches it from the outside, you know, and trying to look at it, maybe subjectively, totally, huh, can the, can the Jewish people be victorious? Can they be stronger than all the nations around? But makes sense, you know? Give them a territory, appease them. You have all these millions of Arabs around you. Why don't you do something? But from a strong conviction point, we know there is... There is no other way. This is our place. This is our homeland. This is where we believe. This is where we live. This is where we belong. So we have, first of all, we're grounded. So then, even if we use our logic to try to figure out the best way to defend ourselves, and sometimes we lose people, and sometimes we, but still, this is our uh, our job. Is it's okay to question? It's okay to figure out, but still, it has to be grounded. This is one of the interpretations of the commentary speak. Why don't we go to the next verse? Um, Marina. Marina. Yeah. So you wanted to know, you're going to get now to read, read through a whole bunch of names now, okay? okay. Because these are all the names of the representations of the tribes who uh, who went to scout the land. No, no, if I Hold on, sure. Sure. So, is it is the essential problem really that it was plain logic, you know, without the, you know, the the base emunah, you know, or the fact, and the notion that that logic without emunah becomes subservient to the opposite of, you know, selfishness. That really, that there's no such thing as as clear logic. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. There's always, always, it's always. Um, it's always inspired or it's always motivated by some if you don't have Kedusha you have the opposite side there's no there's no Pyrav over there okay that makes sense that, that's possible but I'm just saying we're just talking about in the general way that it was it cannot be just purely logic if you, if what, I, what I was trying to get at is here if you just make logical uh, if you just base everything on logic it's easy to make a mistake you know you have to have a conviction you have to have a muna yep sorry do any of the Mufarshim uh, offer this as, a, as an explanation that really it's not that you know, Moshe and Israel asked them to send spies it's that Hashem sent them. Hashem said it as a test sort of because all he says is Vayeturu uh, at the Eretz Canaan right I go and scout the land that can mean a lot of things that doesn't you know 
Well, uh, the thing is, in, in Dvarim, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more elaborate. In, in, in Dvarim, it's a little bit more, more elaborate. Because as we understand it from Rashi's shot, that we're main, main, mainly concentrating on Rashi's interpretation. Right. And there could be various, and I couldn't answer you what all the Mepharshim say. But what I, what I do know, Rashi uses the Chumash of Dvarim, what it says in, in Dvarim over there, the Pasuk says a lot about how they want to say, let's go and let's check it out and see the land that we're going to. So it's more than just, an, if this is a response from Hashem, is almost missing that the first part of it is missing here and it's said over there. Mm. So that's what we know. So it doesn't have to go ahead and repeat because just go ahead, you ask for it, go ahead and do so. I mean, that's what I would say. Okay, Marina? The rabbi names for the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakur. For the tribe of Remember, I'm going to test you afterwards if you remember them by heart after all these names. <laughs> Go ahead. Shachat, the son of Kori. For the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of, the son of Jephunia. For the tribe of Issachar, Yigal, the son of Joseph. For the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshia, the son of Nun, for the tribe of Ben Benjamin, Palti, the son of. By the way, these are all the names of the tribes. Right. Uh, and their and their leader. For the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi. For the tribe of Yosef, the tribe uh, the tribe of Manasseh, God, Godi, the son of. I want to stop for one second. You said two things here, right? Okay. So what's going on over there? There's two tribes. Two tribes. Right. Okay. So one name. Okay. This go. This refers to a a, pre, a story that we read in the book of Bracious, in the first book, and came Genesis. In Genesis, we read about that Jacob actually took one tribe, that's the tribe of Joseph, and is split it into two. He broke it up into two. And one of them was Menashe, one son, and the other one was Ephraim. So Menashe and Ephraim became equal. Kiruvim and Shimon Yili, he says in the verse there. They became like Reuben and Shimon, so they are part of the tribes also. So he says here, Lemate Yosef, Lemate Menashe, because Menashe is part of Joseph's tribe. The problem, though, uh, we have here that the Mephorshim deal with is the second half of this Menashe was who? Was Ephraim. In verse, you were just reading verse 8. In verse 8 it says, in verse 8 it said who? To the tribe? For the tribe of Ephraim, okay. Shia, the son of Nun. Okay, so here we have a question. Why would it not say Lemate Yosef, Lemate Ephraim, because Ephraim was the other one of the uh, of the tribes. Okay. Besides the the reasoning, we have to look into why this order of the names, the way he counts them over here. But Ephraim was also Lemate Yosef. Why does the verse find it necessary to write Lemate Yosef before saying Lemate Menashe and not doing Lemate Ephraim? So the Mepharshim talk about it, there's different suggestions that they give, but it's beyond, again, beyond the scope from here, from my class today. But there is reasoning, and they want to connect it, some Mepharshim want to connect it 
to uh, the land of Israel, what Ephraim was more independent as Menashe was more like a following of Joseph but that's that's another interpretation but that's the way the word but that with Lamate Yosef it's not two separate tribes but it's Lamate Yosef as it was broken down to the Mate Menashe the tribe of Levi is missing here yeah because Levi is not included because the tribe of Levi they were the Levim they, they don't they are not counted and they didn't participate, they are Moshe and Aaron, those were the leaders they sent the representation from all the other uh, tribes, not counting the tribe of Levi I also may suggest, just in the very simple text, uh, thing is uh, when we're reading Lamate Ephraim so that we are just mentioning one son we understand but if we would say just Lamate Manashe say, hey, wait a minute, uh, Ephraim already represented Menashe. So he's just telling you, Lamate Yosef, Lamate Menashe. He's just because it's the second one of the tribes. Uh, okay, I don't know exactly, but there should be some, some way to figure out why it comes. Let's go continue. For the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gimali. For the tribe of Asher, Setur, Setur the son of Malkoth. For the tribe of Naphtali, Nafdi, the son of Wofsi. For the tribe of God, Yuel, the son of Naphtali. Okay, so let me just say, so again, why this kind of order? I mean, we have before mentioning the tribes, sometimes they mention them the order of their birth. Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, sometimes they're a little different. Sometimes they stick in different names. Again, the Mephorshim, the commentators deal with all these things. They need to be explained. Here it seems like randomly, it starts with Reuben, Shimon, skips Levi, then Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zvulun. Actually, and then he sticks in Menashe over there. You see, it goes in the order. Reuven, Shimon, Shimon, no Levi, Yehuda. Uh, and then he sticks in Ephraim and Binyamin. No, it's then... It doesn't seem to have any of the... Um, doesn't come to mind any direct order. Okay, so now let's do the next verse. The other name of the men Moses sent to scout the land, and Moses called uh, Hoshea the son of Nun, Joshua. Now, who was Hoshea ben Nun? To which tribe was he? Um, Ephraim. Ephraim. So he was from the tribe of Ephraim. So he called him Hoshea ben Nun. He called him Joshua. Joshua. What is the meaning? What is the significance of that? What does Yoshua mean? He'll be saved. He'll be saved. Yehoshua has the name of first letters of God, Yud K. Rashi says that he prayed for him, may God protect you from the advice of the scouts. Apparently, the advice, the scouts advised already in the beginning, it was already, so he was praying for his student. It's interesting, Joshua, this is not the first time we mentioned Joshua. Joshua is mentioned many times before. Joshua, in the book of Shemos, Joshua was the faithful servant of, of Moshe. He always went along with Moshe. And it's interesting that Moshe, that Joshua is always referred to as Joshua. He's never referred to as Hosea. 
must be the reason he's always referred to as Joshua based on the fact that Moshe eventually called him Yoshua, called him Joshua. That's why we find even before the reference to talking about him, we call him Yehoshua, even though the name he only received at this point. We still called him that beforehand. As opposed to the other times we find in the Torah, uh, like name change, like from Abraham to Abraham. So once he was called Abraham, in the beginning he's called Abraham, then he's called Abraham. Or Sarah, in the beginning she was called Sarai, and then she was called Sarah. So once she was changed, it was changed. Jacob's name was changed from, from, from Jacob to Israel, but still he was called uh, Jacob afterwards, actually. That, that still stayed afterwards. But Joshua, we don't find anywhere in the Tanakh, outside of here, that he was called by the name of Hoshea bin Nun. He's always called Yehoshua bin Nun. That's what he's always referred to. Um, now, it's very interesting. Uh, the Talmud says, the Talmud brings down that the letter Yud that he added to his name, Hoshea, he called him Joshua. So what it is, is it's a letter Yud. It's the Hebrew letter Yud that was put in front of the Hey. The Hebrew letter Hey spells Hoshea. This is Yehoshua. And that spells Yud-K, meaning God's name. God should protect you, should help you from the advice of the Maragun. So Rashi, the Gemara says, yeah? Why did it be Yehoshea, not Yehoshua? Uh, okay, good, good question. I'm going to answer part of the question now. No, not, well, not exactly that. I think it goes better with the, with the grammar. Uh, Shua, then the Shea, maybe a Hoshea. It's probably it has to probably has to do with the digduk of the of the name. I, I'm not sure because certain vowels change around also the pronunciation. Uh, I want to tell you something very interesting now. Uh, the Gemara says the Talmud it says that uh, where did uh, where did uh, Moshe get the extra letter to give to to Hosea? He called him. He says he called him. Instead of Hosea, he called him Yeshua. So it says like this. The Gemara says like this, that when God changed Sarah's, Saroy, Abraham's wife's name from Saroy, he changed it to Sarah, she ended up losing the youth from her name. That youth came to complain to God and said to God, screaming and yelling, why did you take away my letter from the name of Atzadik? It screamed until Moshe Rabbeinu took that youth and put it in the letter of Yehoshua. So it made it instead of Hosea, Yeshua. So that's the letter from Sarai, from Avram's wife, and that letter ended in Yeshua. Now, did you ever wonder, you know how the word, what's the Hebrew word for a son? In this, in this section you're reading, such the son of such, such the son of such, such the son of such. What is the word for son? Such the son. What's the word? Ben. ben. Ben means what a son. Now, how does what is the Hebrew word for the son of Nun? Yehoshua, but you can imagine the Yeshua, what do you call him? Ben Nun. What? Ben Nun. Is it Ben Nun? Look at the Hebrew. Bin Nun. It's called Bin Nun. The only person we call Bin is Yeshua Bin Nun. Why is why is he called Bin Nun? Why is that Yeshua Ben Nun? Ever wonder? Everybody's called Ben. And now here we come to Yeshua. It's Yeshua bin Nun. Why is it bin? Why not Ben? 
So I once saw a commentary. He says, okay, so now we know where uh, where Yeshua, where Moshe got the youth from. To give it to whom? To give it to Yeshua. He got a youth from the name of Sarai. He placed the youth over there, put it there. But wait a minute. The youth in the name of Sarai is in the end of the letter, right? It's Sarai. The yud doesn't have a vowel under it, right? Because the end of the word is just the vowels under the resh, but there's no vowel for the yud. So it's Saroi, right? But he named it what Yehoshua. He put the so now we have the yud, the the under the yud is a ye sound, Yehoshua, right? So it's a ye sound, right? The ye is a shva sound. A shva, the way a shva looks, a shva has two dots one underneath the other, that makes a shvah and you know what makes the s sound, the ben sound that's a segel so he says that God took two of the dots from the ben and put it under the shvah to give it Yeshua and that's why it meant bin <laughs> so it's Yeshua bin because <laughs> that's put it Instead of so now it became instead of the yud now we have the vowel it's Yeho Yeshua <laughs> sounds interesting a punter law of conservation yeah <laughs> so so God sort of singled him out as a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu took special care for him Moshe Rabbeinu and there was one more there. Was calling Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for him because he was he had a special connection. Well, your question: Why did Moshe Rabbeinu only pay, pray for him? Yeah. But Moshe Rabbeinu had a special. This was Moshe Rabbeinu's servant, and uh, I guess still Moshe Rabbeinu still thought they were all distinguished people. He didn't think they're going to come. They're going to do bad. He wasn't. He was just saying, "May God protect you from you know whatever comes out." You know, it's like a father saying goodbye to his son or a teacher going back from his special student. He was just giving him a less, less blessing, but not. He didn't suspect. It's, it's, it's impossible to believe that he suspect they're up to no good, because if they're up to no good, it would be kind of hard. Unless we should say that Moshe Rabbeinu was, you know, sort of gave in. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu also didn't want to send, uh, really. But the Jews were nagging him, and he didn't want to start up with them again. You know, he's like a, he, a leader. But Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, we can't say that Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu. If he sent it, Moshe Rabbeinu thought that this was logical, it was reasonable. Yeah. And that's why he sent it, it wouldn't, yeah? So maybe he acted on the logical and not the Muna. Yeah, he did, yeah, no, but he thought that, that they wouldn't, you know, he didn't. Moshe Rabbeinu judged everybody in the sense of uh, fairness, you know, he gave them the benefit of the doubt, so sometimes he didn't it's see. A, it's, a, it's very hard for me to understand how 12 people can make a mistake. Like, what we understand, like, if you send 12 people anywhere, they will bring different uh, sort of uh, points of view. Ask any 12 people about anything and you will not get probably... It, it, it wasn't unanimous, it was two, they were unanimous, but actually, I think the problem is, in a lot of these cases we find, the problem is because these people were so distinguished, it was a touch of arrogance over there probably, there was a touch of a feeling that they could figure it out, you know, and Sometimes when you send simple people, you're better off because they they stay faithful to the mission. They do what they're supposed to. They don't get off track. You know, they 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 go through what they have to do with with these distinguished people. And that's what we had a problem with Korach later on. These were people. These were actually big shots, and they were uh, great. You know, uh, 
they were giants, they were leaders, so they figured they have a say too, they have an opinion, they have a, a way about it. Sorry, let's just do because I got to run to minion, so let's just do one, one verse over here. Yes. Moshe sent them to scout the land of Canaan, and he said to them, Go up this way in the south and climb up the mountain. Continue to do it to a few verses. You shall see what kind of land it is and the people who inhabit it. Are they strong or weak? Are there few or many? And what of the land they inhabit? Is it good or bad? And what of the cities in which they reside? Are they in camps or in fortresses? Continue just till the end of the verse. And then okay. one. What is the soil like? Is it fat or... Oh. Oh. He said okay. the electricity might go off for a minute. When 